1: Welcome to the Lucas Baseball Podcast. I'm Landers from DrRoto.com, here with Lucas Beery from DCDynasty.co. And Lucas, it's outfield day today. This is part one of two. Of course, later in the episode, as we always do, we'll be going over the outfield tiers, and we'll be using the article you wrote up on DCDynasty.co.
0: Absolutely. The outfield position is going to be a great one to break down, and it's certainly... uh going to be highly integral to have a strong outfield plan heading into our biggest drafts as opening day approaches.
1: Well, with that being said, how many outfielders would you say you've been getting in the top 100? Obviously, it's going to vary based on the drafts, but on average, you're getting one, you're getting two, you're getting three.
0: It really just depends, quite frankly, on the draft and how quickly other people are attacking it, as well as my KDS. So uh, it's varied quite a bit. And I feel like having a strong depth of the player pool makes it so I don't feel like I have to lock in a certain amount of outfielders, I can just kind of take what the draft gives me. But ideally, I can get one of the top 10 outfielders, uh, maybe another falling value before, you know, outfield 25 when there's a bit of a drop off. And then sometimes I've had three before outfield 25. So uh, it's really been a very mixed bag approach. And I think you just kind of have to take what the draft gives you and not reach.
1: Definitely don't want to reach. Definitely need to take what the draft is giving you. I'm with you. And I think KDS is important as well. I would say I'm usually getting two. The odd time I have three in that top 100. Again, depends on that draft spot. If I'm drafting in the first half of the draft, I'm usually getting one in the first round. Usually a Julio, if I'm lucky, but a Tucker, Jordan, or Mookie. If I'm towards the back end of a draft, I'm usually getting one um, early. Like I mentioned, and then maybe one in the fifth or sixth round and then another um, in the seventh or eighth round depends what's there. But I've been seeing a lot of Springer, Eloy, and Reynolds coming to me. And I do have a share of Corbin Carroll. I do have a share of Byron Buxton. But a lot of Springer, Eloy, Reynolds in that round five through eight range.
0: Yeah, I think that's a nice area to be able to – even possibly get your first one if you address other needs and certainly is a great outfield too. So I think those are some good calls there, Lou.
1: I mean, I like him. It's hard to not like any of those players going in the top a hundred. Of course, uh, we'll get to some f- ranges down the road in your snake draft. But before we continue with the snake draft, let's talk some auction strategy. My auction strategy is kind of to get three outfielders in that 18 to 23 range. Probably some similar names to my snake draft strategy, though. Carroll, Reynolds, Eloy Springer, Buxton, even Schwarber, if I can get him in that 20 or 21 range, his average price is 24 this month. But then you always need to, of course, have some of the cheaper guys, too. So in the guys in the 3 to $7 range, and I'm basing this off the NFBC draft um, or the NFBC auction averages since the beginning of March, and basically... In that three to seven range for Dugo, Newt Ben Benintendi, Winker, Riley Green, Chris Taylor, Will Myers, and then some one dollar guys: Duvall, Grisham, Marco, Kirillov, Nick Gordon, Charlie Blackman.
0: Yeah, sounds like you're really spreading out the wealth there, and not necessarily going for the highest uh, dollar guys like Kyle Tucker and even you know Fernando Tatis Jr. I think for my outfield strategy, it all depends on if I am going to chase after one of those thirty plus dollar players. I think Mookie Betts at thirty four AAV is a tremendous uh value there. I'm sure you would agree with me on that. And I think as far as if you're going to be spending a significant amount of money on an outfielder, I think going for a player that's above the Brian Reynolds eighteen dollar range to even into the George Springer at twenty one dollars. I think that's where you want to shop. I'd rather pay eighteen to twenty for those guys than to pay you know, 15 for Nick Castellanos or even Chris Bryan. I think you're just upgrading quite a bit when you're getting into the Brian Reynolds, Eloy, and George Springer range. And for the $1 outfielders, Lou, I've done an NFBC auction earlier uh, this month, or last month actually, and I found the $1 players were really actually pretty good. You were able to get Emmanuel Margot or A guy who's going to lead off for the San Francisco Giants, Mike Yastrzemski. Some very useful 15-team guys. So even Austin Meadows you can get for a dollar in some drafts. So I wouldn't be afraid to have two or even potentially three $1 outfielders since I think if you identify the right ones, you can get a value.
1: Makes sense to me. Uh, I like some of those names for sure. So moving things into your snake drafts again. We talked top 100. There's not a lot of outfielders, really, in that 100 to 130 range, so I'm going to make this the 130 to 230 range. Who are some of your favorite guys in that range in the outfield?
0: Yeah, so this is a, this is an outfield range that has some good values in my book, it has some clean avoids, um, so... Ian Happ, I think, is an automatic for me at pick 150. I think you're getting a well-balanced supply of five-category juice. Even if the batting average drops to 250, I don't think he's going to hurt your batting average, and I think you're going to get 20 home runs, 10 to 15 steals, and a healthy amount of counting sets. Love Happ. Um, Alex Verdugo is a player that is not very sexy anymore since he's uh, been in the league a few years, hasn't uh, exploded, but was worth a substantial amount as a top 30 outfielder last year. And he's going at outfield 46. I think he could get better on that. So it's an automatic good floor with profit for more, helping a rare batting average uh, source in there. Um, And then Andrew Benintendi is a similar package to Alex Verdugo. It's a combo guy with a little bit of home runs and some steals with average. Uh, So those are three of kind of my guys there. What do you have, Lou?
1: I definitely have the Hap, Verdugo, Benintendi. But even earlier in that 130 to 140 range, Stanton and Vaughn are of interest to me. I also do like Newt Bar, And really, I like these guys as outfield threes, outfield fours, because they have good lineup spots. They can help in those four categories. And Benintendi and Hap can pitch in some stolen bases for you too. So although you might be losing a little bit of power with Benintendi, although I do think the power goes up to at least 15 homers again, uh, being out of KC because he did show more power when he went to the Yankees, and I think he can do that in Chicago. Um, at least some stolen bases coming from these guys. Good averages from Ben Benintendi, decent average from Hap, both good and on-base percentage leagues. And again, the I think the lineup spot is key with a lot of these players.
0: Yeah, I uh, I, I certainly agree. It, with this range in the outfield, there's some guys that I'm just completely out on. Um. So I think you got to got to kind of be careful, make sure you've, you've done your research and hopefully we can help chip in with that. But um, you, you always certainly see guys like Oscar Gonzalez kind of fall or Lourdes Gurriel. He can fall like there's just certain guys where I think a sharp draft room is going to avoid them. So I, I feel like knowing the the outfield player pool is going to be important, uh, more important than just investing in it early to feel safe. It's there's some traps there, even if you invest in the top 200 for some guys that we laid out there.
1: There is, um, I mean, what do you think of you know a guy like a Hunter Renfro? Now Bader's injured. Mitch Haniger, Cody Bellinger, um, Seth Brown, Loriano, Guriel, Conforto. These are all guys going in that one thirty to two thirty range that we didn't mention. And personally, I didn't mention them because I don't have much interest.
0: Yeah, I don't like a lot of those players. I mean, the ones that I do are Hunter Renfro. I think he can walk into thirty home runs pretty easily which is quite rare. So I think he's he's a nice pick there. Cody Bellinger, I have absolutely no interest in not a very good baseball player. And I don't see any changes, you know, to to suggest that otherwise. And a player like Brandon Nemo, I can certainly see the value in him. But it's hard to accept a player that has such little home runs and not much speed. But in the right build, I can kind of understand it. I mean, as a Verdugo fan, it's not that different. But I just feel like with Nemo, there's more health risks. So that's why I haven't taken him. But yeah, this outfield range, I'm not a huge fan of.
1: If you are someone that doesn't believe in Benintendi increasing his power, he's basically branded Nemo last year Ben Benintendi. In fact, I make lots of arguments for the fact that Nemo was a better fantasy player than Benintendi last year because of Benintendi's lack of power. So if you like Benintendi, there's not... Much reason to not like Nimmo, although I think we can both agree if it's an on-base percentage league, Nimmo definitely gets a bump.
0: Oh, yeah. He's a top 150 player, top 125 player in on-base, and, you know, you're getting a full two-round discount approximately with Benintendi, and with Benintendi, we've seen him go twenty twenty 20 before, uh, better health outcomes, and he's also getting a significant park upgrade going from the uh, cavernous Kaufman Stadium to, to the White Sox. Uh, so that's a few reasons why I much prefer Ben Attendee at the price than Nemo.
1: Fair enough. So, that after that 230 range, let's say 230 to 300 range, basically you're probably looking for your outfield five and outfield six at this point. Some guys that kind of stand out to me Jesse Winker, Brandon Marsh, Nick Gordon, Manuel Margot, and even just past that 300 range. Trent Grisham, Chris Taylor, Will Myers, my boy Oswaldo Cabrera. These are all guys I would take as an outfield six happily. And then, of course, Taylor also has that infield eligibility.
0: Yeah, I think those are some, some fantastic calls there. And um, I like basically everyone everyone you, you laid out there. Um, throwing out a few more. I, I think Juan Yapez has a nice bat the playing time questions make it so you probably want him as a bench bat or maybe as a utility. And then you put someone else in the utility and see how the playing time shakes out. But Yipes quietly was fantastic last year. So he's worth your attention. Um, Mike Yastrzemski is another guy that I believe will be hitting lead off or towards the top of the lineup for San Francisco. Um, and I also am getting a little bit more interested in uh, Michael Conforto since he's proving his health. He's a player that's gone much, much earlier in years past and, Conforto's only age 30, so not too old quite yet. Uh, And one more, uh, just completely boring, but you're going to like him in your 15-teamers, Andrew McCutcheon. He's going to have a premium lineup spot for the Pirates and uh, provides a solid little pinch of power and a handful of bags. So I like McCutcheon, too, as just a glue guy, outfield five.
1: Makes sense to me. So we'll move into the tiers now, and we'll basically hit on the top 30 to 35 players in this and then in our part two episode we'll do the rest but we'll start with the diamond tier of ronald acuna jr aaron judge julio rodriguez kyle tucker mookie betts and your don alvarez again you can find this article at dc dynasty.co it's the outfield tiers and position preview first tier i mean i think a lot of the names are self-explanatory and what they bring to the table but they're all such talented players they're all guys that can be the cornerstone of your team so let's start
0: yeah um, if i'm drawing up the number one pick this year i am going to take ronald acuna jr Uh, the bad x projection system actually accounted for new stolen base rules and they give him 40 steals with 31 bombs so that's pretty magnificent if he can provide those numbers um which he's basically he's done that before so it wouldn't be out of the question so Cunha, i think judge is a player where i've noticed people lou i don't know if you've noticed it but people feel like they are settling for judge or they're nervous to take aaron judge and he's a guy that could hit 45 homers with five to ten steals and a 290 average i don't think it's a concern for me to take judge so. That's kind of Judge and Acuna, and with Julio Rodriguez, um, yeah, he did stop running and stealing bags in that second half due to an injury, but I don't think that's necessarily going to continue, and he's another guy that can have 30 home runs, 30 steals, or or even much more than that, so uh, yeah, I think that's obviously why teams are setting their KDS for the top three to get one of those three guys, and that's pretty much all I have on those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, Julio and Acuna seem to be the guys you want because they both have that 40-40 potential. Not to say that either one will get there, but they do. And with Aaron Judge, four-category monster, certainly in my opinion. But I do think those stolen bases, even with the new rules, are going to go down simply because he's in his 30s and the Yankees want to preserve this guy. It would make sense why he kind of had the green light a year ago. He was in that contract year. He kind of wanted to hit on every category, show everything that he could do. Um, I think he's going to be playing a limited amount of center field this year, and I think he's going to be swiping bags at a much lesser rate this year because of those factors. So that's something to consider. I'm not drafting Judge expecting to get double-digit steals. If I do, it's kind of just a bonus. But if you, especially in a roto league, I'm looking at the Acuna or the Julio range. And then, at least for the outfield, obviously, you're going to see J-Ram and Trey Turner up in those top four or five um, in your snake drafts.
0: And with Judge, like I said, I've noticed a handful of people have hesitation with him, which I can kind of get that. He's had health issues, but based on his skills, I mean, he had a 26% barrel rate. I've never seen that before he had a 60 per, 61% hard hit rate. I mean, he's going to be able to walk into to 40 home runs as long as he plays 130 games and there's a chance he could flirt with 50 again, which is going to just set you apart in a huge way. So him and Julio Rodriguez, I love them in the top five and um, fantastic calls there.
1: They always are. So the end of this tier, still fantastic players, but their guy is basically going as early as pick six, and I would say as late as pick 14 or so. That's Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez.
0: Yeah, Tucker is a player where the fantasy community, and of course baseball fans that love Tucker, are desperate to see him move up in the lineup, and I think there's a reasonable chance he does that this year with Michael Brantley kind of being injured. I was in a draft last weekend in Chicago, Lou, and uh, Tucker actually went fourth overall, which was pretty interesting. I think part of that is the scarcity of outfield, and part of it is the fact he's going to walk into 25 homers, 25 steals, and have a serious upside beyond that. And Great hit tool, great lineup, no flaws with Tucker. Uh, Betts also is another player where he pulled the ball more last year. Betts did to adjust to his, his uh, advancing age, but I don't see much concerns with him. I think he'll be able to walk into 30 home runs with, you know, 10 to 15 steals and might be able to grab you up second base eligibility, which would be colossal. And Jordan Alvarez, one of the best hitters in the game, period, bar none. And since he swung a bat with with uh, no no pain in his hands, you've got to feel better. Certainly something to monitor Jordan Alvarez's hand issues, but um, he played through the hand issues last year and was a star and the organization didn't deem surgery necessary so i think he, even though he has a, a tinge of health risk it's not too bad
1: no it is definitely not so over to tier 2 the platinum tier Juan Soto, Fernando Tatís Jr, Mike Trout, Michael Harris, randia rosarena Corbin Carroll, Luis Robert, George Springer and Kyle Schwarber
0: Yeah, so it'll be probably easier for me to just kind of classify the players I'm not drafting much at ADP. Uh, Since all these guys are great players, it's just cost is sometimes a little tricky for some. So a player like Luis Robert and Michael Harris, as well as Mike Trout, I just have not really been able to take since they're going higher than I'm ready. Trout is probably the one that I'm closest on, Uh, but health issues in that early second round have me a little concerned with him. I don't think... I wouldn't necessarily count on much more than about 135 games or 130 games. And I can get a player that I can project for more games, even though his skills are definitely top 10 player in the game still. Uh, and with Luis Robert, another health issue guy, he has not even played over a hundred games yet. I know he's only had a handful of years, but still not good. And his speed is also uh, not quite as elite as some people might expect for Luis Robert. And with Michael Harris, uh, he's a great player too, but I think that the league is going to kind of make some better adjustments to him. He strike he uh, chases the ball quite a bit outside the zone and uh, kind of falls for those sliders. So I think a sophomore down downturn off of his elite rookie years is going to happen. And there's players that are going after him like Randy Rosarena that I think are basically similar and uh, just been a little bit too expensive there with Michael Harris for me.
1: I like what you said there with the Rosarena. I think they're very similar players, and Rosarena is safer. If I have the choice, I'm taking Rosarena over Harris. Um, of the three guys in the Trout, Harris and Robert, that you mentioned, the only one I have even a single share of so far is Michael Harris, and it's simply because it's a league with one catcher and saves plus holds. So I'm not getting an earlier catcher, and I'm not worrying about a closer. So that allows me to go after a hitter in that range and a guy with some speed is what I needed and Harris was there and I was happy to take him I was looking for Rosarena he went two picks earlier Harris I was very happy for him to fall but a guy like Trout I agree there is that injury risk and he's going in that early second round Um, I don't have any Fernando Tatis Jr. yet either And he's been creeping up and creeping up into the first round a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Juan Soto is a guy I like, certainly. Um, There was an OPP league. I might even consider him top five. (laughs) But in an average league, um, it'd be very hard for me to pass on a Yordan or a Mookie in favor of Soto.
0: And I've seen Soto go in that second round there, which to me is wonderful. Uh, Obviously, you can't count on that, but it's happened. And with with Soto, for me, I understand he walks a lot, which is going to he walks an unbelievable amount, which is going to hurt his rotisserie value in terms of giving you hits or home runs, et cetera. But I think he can give you 30 home runs, uh, 10 plus steals potentially with, with 110 uh, runs, and that's going to pay the bills for me in the end of the set, end of the first. Uh, so part of a colossal lineup, as we mentioned with uh, Xander Bogarts, I think the Padres are going to be a juggernaut lineup, and with Tatis, it's all about risk tolerance. Obviously, if you if you think that he's gonna be able to stay fairly healthy, uh, he's a great pick. If you if you have any tinge of concern, I would avoid him because the opportunity cost is someone like uh, Juan Soto or someone like Rafael Devers. So, if you have concerns with Tatis, it's not an issue to pass him up. He actually fell to the mid to almost late second in my Chicago draft last weekend. So. There was a lot of sharp drafters that said, you know, I don't need the risk, even though the upside is top five talent for for Fernando Tatis.
1: Yeah, and I saw him fall to the last pick in the second round of a 12-team league that I'm doing right now. And I know we're talking outfielders, but because he is shortstop eligible, and I think a lot of people are thinking of him on their list for shortstops, when people ask me what my take, this is basically what I say, and tell me if you agree. Okay. He's worth the first round pick if you believe he can get anywhere from 28 to 32 homers, 80-plus runs, 80-plus ribbies, hit about 290, and steal 15 bases, even though he's going to miss a month. So if you think he can do that, he's worth it. Plus, it's not like you're getting zeros, because if you get a guy, let's say like Elvis Andrews, for instance, late, you have a Andrews' to stats for the first month. He's not Tati's junior, but he could very well give you, you know, three, four homers, some steals, some runs, whatever, and then you're getting Tatis Jr. So basically you're getting a great season from Tatis Jr. in just five months, plus whatever Andrews gives you in the first month. So if you think that Tatis can reach those those benchmarks, he's worth the first rounder.
0: I think when you lay it out that way it, it, it does make some sense to me and obviously he's coming off of three surgeries since he's played last year um, and while we don't really know how that's going to affect him, some guys it affects greatly like Cody Bellinger, some guys it doesn't hardly affect, um, do you think that him missing the entire season last year, Lou is going to make him a little bit rusty or how do you view that as kind of your very smart, real baseball fan? How does that, how does that, uh, sit with you, him missing the whole year?
1: So it doesn't sit great. And I don't love looking at spring training and the amount of at-bats and things from guys that aren't either trying to make a team or first-year, second-year type players. But I do think the amount of at-bats he gets in spring is going to be very important for him to get back into that groove. Because even though he's going to be out for a month afterwards, um, as many reps as this guy can get, the better. Um I feel like he's just so talented, though. Yeah. Like, from a pure talent standpoint, I still am going to take the talent over the what-ifs and or buts. So at some point, I would like to get myself a share in redraft, and um, I'm actually kind of upset at myself for not taking him in the second round of this most recent draft from doing the 12-teamer because I kept saying if he falls after pick 20-21, I'm going to do it. And he fell to me at pick 22, and I ended up going with Paul Goldschmidt because of the OBP league that it is. Um, Is it a mistake? I don't think so. I love Paul Goldschmidt, but that was my chance to get him. And I don't have more than one more draft planned for now, Uh, but I would definitely like to get myself a share because I do think he can hit that 28 to 32, 80, 80 to 90, 15 stolen bases range in five months. And that's still a first-round talent even with just five months
0: makes a lot of sense. So as far as Corbin Carroll uh he's a player that obviously I was highly interested in, but the cost just was a little tricky and then I heard some scouts kind of talk about how his power actually is really good, which was my concern. And uh I've been able to get I've been able to get aggressive with him. We did a draft champions league together and we grabbed him up actually in the 6th round which you're not going to be able to see that again. So that was good that we struck while the iron was hot there. But that's another guy that definitely could provide 15 home run floor with 30 to 40 plus steals. I mean, heck, I would not be shocked out of my mind to see him reach 50 steals since he is the fastest player in baseball per sprint speed. So, yeah, Carroll's a guy that, you know, he could he could uh, quite quite frankly vault up into the second round next year or even higher if he really goes off
1: yeah i definitely like him and the price is rising for a reason um some other guys springer and schwarber loving springer always have loved springer it's really simply about the games played for him cuz he has had issues i think and i was doing my uh tgfbi recap on the count stats pod i think i saw that he hasn't played over 135 games since 2016 or 2017 so that's a little worrisome of course but my justification is if he was a guy that you could rely on for a 145 or 150, he wouldn't be getting him where you're getting him. He'd be a second or third round player.
0: I had the exact same thought when you were when you were kind of laying that out there. And I mean, if you look since 2019, his isolated power has been really strong. Uh, he chips in the steals. He's feeling healthier than ever. Uh, his plate discipline's gotten much better over the course of his career. So he's he's a supreme. He's just a supremely elite baseball player in real life. He's elite in fantasy when he's on it, when he's healthy. And he's all just dependent on how much depth you can have behind him. And I've been warming up much more to him. Because while I do try to stay away from injury risk, uh, this is a special talent. So you, you can only look away for so long. If he falls into that pick 65 to 70 range... I think he's pretty automatic for me.
1: Yep, that's where I've been getting a lot of him. That's where I like him. And I do think that him playing a lot more right field than center field is a narrative people should be paying attention to.
0: I completely agree with him grabbing up Varsho and Kiermaier to sop up some of those center field innings. Uh, Good call there.
1: Yeah, so Kyle Schwarber, I only have one share. And it's not that I don't like him as much, it's just that, to me, as great as he is in three categories, he lacks in the other two.
0: Yeah, and with the 10 steals last year, I don't think that you should count on more than three this year. I mean, yeah, he could give you a chip-in amount of steals, but the previous, you know, since 2017, he's only stolen two or four bases most of the years, and usually he's stolen one base, so not a steals guy in my book and as i was saying in previous pods for this series i'm looking to highly protect my batting average it's hard to make it up late because those players aren't going to give you good batting average uh, typically and they also don't give you the volume of plate appearances so if you're taking on 650 plate appearances of a 220 average or even a 230 average if we're being you know kind to them that's just going to kill your bottom line right away and uh There's a certain spot where it makes sense. I I got him in an auction league at 24 bucks, which I thought was reasonable since he's going to pretty much hit you 35 home runs locked in. And I think when Harper's out, he's going to have a really good lineup spot. Uh, So I think there's some value to him, but in the fifth, you know, in the fourth and fifth round, I just am trying to protect my batting average then and, be cautious thinking i can make up power later while protecting my batting average early
1: yes uh, that's kind of my thoughts i like the player i don't like the price tag for the player now in an auction i do um i know he's going in that average of 24 i said earlier but if i can get him at 19 or 20 which is certainly possible then i'm uh I'm, I'm interested as my outfield three. Um, so this next year will be the last year on this episode before we do our part two. I'm going to break it into two separate because there's a lot of names on it. So yes. I want to, uh, you know, not overwhelm people with names. So we'll go with Cedric Mullins, Eloy Jimenez, Brian Reynolds, Teoscar Hernandez, Christian Yelich, Adolis Garcia, Byron Buxton, Starlin Marte, and Taylor Ward.
0: Yeah, this is a nice, fun tier still. I I would be acceptable with most of these guys as far as an outfielder. One obviously wouldn't like that if I had Starling Marte or Byron Buxton, two guys that are strong on a per-plate appearance basis but health issues. Uh, But, you know, I could live with Brian Reynolds or Eloy Jimenez uh, as an outfielder. One Um, kind of starting off with just looking at steals from this category, since that's obviously where most people get their steals is from the outfield or middle infield positions. Cedric Mullins is a guy that many have talked about him platooning at the end of the year last year, and while that's certainly true that he did, I don't think that's going to be a colossal concern if he falls past pick 55 to 50 range. I think you should give him a look there since he's going to give you uh, a healthy amount of home runs, probably 16 to 18 home runs with his 25 potential steals, and he could take advantage of the steals rules and provide 30 bags. Uh, so while there's a little platoon concern there, I wouldn't cross him off your list. Uh, as far as Christian Yellich, Lou, that's a player that I was all over in the early part of draft season. And he's moved up quite a bit, in fact, uh, from the early drafts. It's a guy that can flirt with 100 runs, 15 to 20 plus steals, and every day at bat since he's been able to manage his back injury. Uh, two guys that I, I do like quite a bit there for steals. And Starling Marte with his double core surgery in the offseason. Even though he's fallen past pick 100, I just think that that's still such a premium pick. Not willing to take the risk on that since he's missed so many games. Even though the skills are good, the age is creeping up and coming off uh, surgery. That's com- complicated. Uh, I've been out on Sterling Marte.
1: Yeah, I don't blame you for that. And I feel like the Mets are going to take a long-term approach with him in terms of wanting him in September and October and hopefully beyond for them. They have a lot of depth on that team especially guys who can play in the outfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if he got just routine days off to keep him fresh. And I don't want a player that's going to have routine days off because that plus an injury, and you're just not getting the amount of the bats you'd want from Starlin Marte.
0: Very good point there. And Buxton is not a steals guy that much anymore. He's more of a power guy. So I think we need to just consider that when he's healthy, he's going to go on a 35 plus home run pace. It's just the health concerns are quite real, unfortunately. With Adoles Garcia, I think I kind of know your take on him, but where are you at with Adoles Garcia, Lou?
1: I'm not taking him at his price because there's just other players that I want and trust more, but I mean, it's hard to argue with back-to-back seasons of great power-speed combo.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I just... His swinging strike rate was what you'd want to see out of your elite pitchers i mean he had a 17 percent swinging strike rate last year i think after a while that's going to catch up to him he's not getting any younger and he's crossed over that age 30 threshold so for me i'm not going to have a single share of him and that's where i'm at so i know eloy jimenez is another guy that uh you're extremely optimistic on lou
1: well yeah i kind of look at him again health is paramount but he I know everyone says, oh, they're in great shape. He is in very good shape. He looks a lot more lean. Uh, But more importantly, I think he's going to get a lot of DH opportunities now with Abreu gone and Vaughn being at first base. So I think that's going to be a very important factor. Robert and Benintendi in center and left. There's like four dudes who the White Sox could use in right field. So I think they would love to keep Eloy out of the field as much as possible. And if he can stay healthy, and that is the if, he could be... Not necessarily as good, but close to what you get from a Vladdy or Jordan.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's quite powerful. A lot of the times when we're in this range, we're looking at either a guy with some average but limited power, or a guy with some power but a limited average. And and he's one of the last guys in the player pool, Lou. Where you know he could hit thirty thirty five home runs with a two eighty to two ninety average and. Uh, that's going to set you apart. So I'm willing to bypass the health risk with with Eloy, and uh, you've uh, you've got me quite on the train with him. I was I was definitely on the train before we talked about him, but you know your projections on him have just uh, really opened up my eyes even further. And Brian Reynolds is another guy that yeah he's not going to be a flashy player, but you're going to quite love his contributions. Some people were underwhelmed with him last year, but if you look at his stats last year. 27 big home runs with seven steals and a 260 average, which helped your team actually last year. The plate skills are still very strong. You know, the counting stats are the issue. I will, I will certainly agree there, but Pittsburgh's lineup is not as disastrous as it been. I'm not going to say it's good, but they've got some professionals coming in there and I don't think you need to count. You cannot factor a trade for him, but if he does get traded, that'll be a nice bonus for Brian Reynolds outlook.
1: Yeah, it will, and I mean, he's so solid across the board, in my opinion, and you could see that 260 become 280, you could see those seven steals become 11 or 12, and the power's still going to be there. Um, If you're drafting him as your outfield one, I don't have an issue with it, but if you're getting him as your outfield two, uh, there's not many better outfield twos around, unless you're really going heavy outfield early.
0: Yes, yes, I I would completely agree there, and... Oscar Hernandez is a guy that's I'm I'm out on as well. I know that the talent is strong. He has thunderous power and he can even chip in on the Steels, but his his age is advancing a little bit. He's also getting a park downgrade going from Toronto to Seattle and
1: Lineup you know, and Park downgrade.
0: Line up and park downgrade and almost thirty percent K rate going over age thirty. He's not getting any more athletic probably. You know, cannot do that in the top uh, top 70, top 80 of picks where he typically goes.
1: Yep, I have zero shares. So Taylor Ward, Tyler O'Neal, Stephen Kwan, Ian Hap, Anthony Santander, um, Hunter Renfro, Andrew Vaughn, Giancarlo Stanton, Chris Bryant, Jordan Walker. It's all part of the same tier, of course, but we broke it in half. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot to like about a number of these players, too.
0: Yeah, there really is, and this is still a very uh, exciting tier. I think I think Taylor Ward's one of those players where you're getting a discount on him because he has not done it more than once. Uh, but if you like the core skills, uh, if you like that 12% barrel rate with uh, great plate discipline and a premium lineup spot near Trout and Otani, uh, I think he's an automatic. Taylor Ward's a player that's moved up significantly in high-stakes fantasy baseball leagues compared to just regular kind of NFBC leagues, so that'll tell you a lot, too. Uh, So I love him, and with Tyler O'Neill, for me, I'm uncomfortable drafting him, even though the cost is reduced. I think he is just frothing with risk, and I I probably should rank him lower because I'm just too too afraid to draft him. Uh, The strikeout rate is significant he he's had health issues uh, staying healthy over his entire career and even when he did have a monster year it wasn't elite steals I will admit the power was strong but just way too risky for me with Tyler O'Neill he makes me way too nervous Lou
1: fair enough let me ask you about Stephen Kwan runs good average stolen bases what's your downside if you're taking Stephen Kwan and How do you make up for what he does lack?
0: Great question there, Lou. Uh, I'm glad that we've had a chance to talk about him because I believe Stephen Kwan is a player that can provide 20 to 25 plus stolen bases. I think he can give you a 300 average across 600 plus plate appearances, which is a huge asset. And I think he can easily cross over the 100 runs threshold. There's been some mention that if he moves to the bottom of the lineup, this is going to be a disastrous pick. And while I do agree that there is – that would hurt the pick, he's a player that walks more than he strikes out, which real-life baseball is going to mean that he is going to be in that leadoff role. He also has a a gold-glove defense, which will secure the playing time. The downside is that he only gives you four to six six home runs. I don't see much growth in the home runs coming because he's a contact-oriented guy. He just wants to put the ball in play and let his uh, wheels take him there. And uh, if you factor in for the power – I think he's a wonderful pick there in the 120 range. And I expected him, Lou, in October and November. I expected Stephen Kwan to move into the top 75 for main events because he provides the rare assets of elite average steals and elite runs. Uh, But he hasn't moved up, so I think he's a good pick.
1: I do too. What are your thoughts on the combination of a Kwan and Giancarlo Stanton?
0: That actually fits pretty good together. Uh, Obviously, that's why you bring it up. Uh, If you average out the numbers, you could be looking at a 20 home run guy with a 270, 280 average if Stanton can find a few more gaps uh, with the shift rules applying for him. And, uh, you know, Stanton's health risk is obviously the biggest concern there. But, uh, you know, you're getting a nice discount on him as he's one of the game's prodigious power hitters going after pick 130, 140 in some formats.
1: Yeah, I kind of look at it as like a 20 homer, um, 80 run, 80 RBI, 12 to 15 stolen bases type. Um, Because Stanton, you worry about him maybe crushing your average a little bit and not helping the stolen bases. Quan, you worry about the lack of the home runs and maybe the RBIs. So when you combine the two, you're getting two really nice outfielders.
0: Man, that is a, a great call there, and I remember people I've heard do this in the past, maybe close to a half decade ago, with with a guy like Joey Gallo and maybe like Luis Arias or, you know. Yeah,
1: well, it's something that I've tried to do even with Tommy Edmund in certain places because he's not really a power guy, but that elite stolen base potential, the dual eligibility, the runs, um, pretty solid average. I know there's been some concerns about his lineup spot but I've tried to do that with Tommy Edmond as well this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with, with players that you did that with in the past, like Joey Gallo and Luis Arias, they're pretty much horrendous if you don't account for their negatives. And I don't think John is horrendous if you don't account for his negatives. And I don't think that Stephen Kwan is going to personally just completely destroy your power. One thing, and he, he will if you're not careful, but if you surround Kwan with good catchers, that'll help revamp your power back up. So another quick point I wanted to throw out there with Quan, pairing him up with good catchers that are going to hit home runs is a huge asset too.
1: Very true, especially in those two catcher leagues. There's certainly ways to make up for it. I, just, I know there's some people who love Quan and some people who are nervous because of the lack of power, but there's definitely ways to account for it. So guys we haven't really touched on, Andrew Vaughn, Chris Bryant, Jordan Walker.
0: Yeah, with Andrew Vaughn, He's a player that is uh, polarizing already in his career, even though he had a quite successful year last year. I guess expectations are just through the roof for, for such a elite college bat. and He provides you a little bit of everything outside of the steals. He has a little bit of power, 20 home run potential power, 270 average. Uh, the positional flexibility is probably one of the reasons he's going so high in addition to the prospect pedigree. I have no problems with him. Haven't targeted him, but no problems with him. Uh, Chris Bryant is another guy that, similar to uh, Stanton, you have to account for some significant health risk, but he also has significant upside playing in course Field, so I think he could be in for a monster year, and he's going quite cheap, so I have no issues with Chris Bryant. In fact, I've targeted him a few times, and Jordan Walker, of course, uh, a player that can provide 25 home run power instantly because he has 80-grade raw power. Uh, steals, as far as Steals goes, he could provide 15 to 20 Steals. He ripped off a lot of bags last year in the uh, AA level as a nine, as a 20-year-old. And I think he's going to make the Cardinals opening day roster. Uh, as far as paying for him in the top 100, I think that's a little risky, but it could work out if he's able to provide the 2020 year. Um, so just be careful. I already loaded up plenty of shares uh, past pick 200, past pick 250. So I feel happy with those, and I don't quite need to pay for that top 100 new price tag. And that's kind of my thoughts on Walker there. Supreme upside, we don't quite know if it's going to manifest, but uh, he certainly has that upside in spades.
1: Couldn't agree more on Walker Bryant. Too risky for me and burnt too much last year. Vaughn, I think a solid player for sure. That'll wrap up part one of two for our outfield breakdown. Next episode, of course, we'll be doing part two of our outfield breakdown. Any teasers or something to look forward to in that episode?
0: Yeah, I was kind of mentioning it earlier, and, and I hope it resonated with drafters and listeners that I feel like knowing the player pool for outfield was a big edge because while we talked about a lot of strong players today, the opening of the next episode is going to have a significant fall off, in my opinion. However, if you're willing to wait, I think there's some nice treats available for you after the pick 250 range because I feel like we've identified some solid guys that are good targets for you. If you're willing to wait, outfield starts off strong, drops off, but I think it picks back up again after that pick 250.
1: Good stuff, brother. Good stuff. This has been the Lucas Baseball Podcast Outfield Preview, part one of two. Lou Landers from Doctorodo.com, Lucas Berry from DZDynasty.co. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.